0: This is recording number 10803, from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fourth message in the Outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 15, 2009. This message is titled, The First Church. going to be uh, continuing our our walk through the book of Acts today, actually looking at the the birth of the church. And we are dealing with uh, the events and um, principles that we encounter in the book of Acts under the theme, the outpouring. Because... In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have the, the outline of the whole book that Jesus gave to his disciples, and Luke recorded uh, it for us there. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall, be, you shall become witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And... It's describing the the rippling effect of the impact of the Holy Spirit not just on one person, but on all of those who were gathered in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, 120 people, and then it mushroomed Uh, into 3,000 people. As Peter got up, you'll recall that we've talked about how on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit was poured out on those uh, believers gathered there in that upper room, waiting for what Jesus told them would be the filling or the outpouring or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there was uh, some incredible... um, Manifestations that took place in all of the the people in the city of Jerusalem. For the city was filled with um, uh, uh, people who were there to celebrate Pentecost. They were drawn to the scene where the uh, the disciples were because of all of the wonderful things that were happening. And Peter seized the moment to preach his first sermon, and it was a whopper. And at the end of it, three thousand men we. uh, We're not quite sure if it was just the men that were counted, which was usually the case. Um, But at least 3,000 people responded in faith and the church was born. Now we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 2 beginning at verse 41. And there's a description here of what that first church was like. Now you've heard me say already a few times as we've been introducing these messages that... We will see over the arc of the of the record uh, of luke 's uh, writing to Theophilus about the events that um, surround the initial stages of the church 's life. We will see. A development, a maturation. In the comic video we just saw, um, you heard them say, "You know, here's the basic things we know we need to do. The rest of it we'll figure out as we go." There's a lot of that that we'll see in the in the Book of Acts that the church will encounter things they couldn't have uh, anticipated, and then they wait on the Holy Spirit for guidance. He leads them. There's a maturation process, but there's so much value. In just going back and seeing what was the birthright that God gave to that early group of people, that first group of people who decided to assemble themselves around their common faith in Christ and and allow the Lord to out to continue this outpouring, the the reverberations of his impact on their lives. And that's what we're gonna do today. Verse forty-one of Acts chapter 2, this is after Peter's sermon, the great harvest of 3,000 people. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which means teaching, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread. And that is not just simply... It was part of it, but not just simply people hanging around eating together. It's a specific reference to what Jesus uh, had uh, commanded them to do on the night of his betrayal when he took the bread and cup and passed it among those 12 disciples and said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so when we read these words, the breaking of bread in this context, it's a specific reference to their uh, dedication to fulfill what Jesus had commanded them to do. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So... Uh, it was, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need." So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is a description of the first church. We're going to spend a few minutes together this morning talking about what those descriptive terms meant and uh, hopefully... Remind ourselves of what God wants this church and every church, every gathering of his believers to be like. Last month, um, a celebration uh, happened that you may have missed out on, the 25th anniversary of the birth of the Macintosh computer. (laughs) Now, I'm old enough to remember when no one knew what a computer was. Seriously, we had no idea. I mean, if we ever heard the term, we relegated it to some, you know, Fort Knox kind of building out in the middle of the country somewhere where there were humongous machines that people were feeding punch cards into, and we had no idea what the purpose of that was, but something was going on and didn't really affect us. But then came along this little box, and you could do, you could actually type a letter on it. And it was like, oh my goodness. There was a thing called a mouse. And you could kind of move it around in in the little cursor. We didn't know what a cursor was, but a little thing would move around on the screen. You could actually uh, interact with this box. It was amazing. Those of us who were alive in those days, we remember how important and significant that was. And in the early days of computing, it was like... I don't know. It was it was like a, a just a thrilling experience. You get together and you talk about you know uh, spreadsheets and you know JPEG files and things like that. No, actually it wasn't JPEG. It was TIFF files, you know. And it's like you just it was a snowballing a thing. You know, it was exciting. Now the computer uh, computer technology has vastly changed in a very in that twenty five uh, year period of time. Um, but now, it's so commonplace, it's just really ho-hum. In fact, kids who, who have grown up with this technology, it's just like a toaster, like a microwave. And I want to say, don't you realize how wonderful this machine is? I mean, they whip out their iPhone and they've got a supercomputer in their pocket and they don't, they don't get it. <laughs> And there's something of that kind of dynamic that periodically takes over our understanding of the church. On the day the church was born, there was a, a, an unspeakable thrill that those early followers experienced that you and I, 2,000 years removed, will never recover. But boy, we ought to try. We don't want our life together to be ho-hum, like a toaster. We want to be amazed. We want to be enthralled with what God is doing. The impact on our lives of His Holy Spirit and then the outflow of that that keeps gathering more and more into His family. And so, look with me at these descriptive terms and let's see if God can't Restore something of that wonder and awe in us. So the first thing we read here is that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. So they were anchored to the Scriptures. I find it, I've lived long enough now that I've also seen cycles of where, where the Bible becomes, you know, Prominent and among the people of God, it's, you know, a gr- there's a great devotion to the Word of God. People bring their Bibles to church, <laughs> actually open them up and read them. And then there'll be a cycle where well, that will become less and less and less important. More and more we hear stories and uh, more and more we hear uh, you know, illustrations and fine preaching. Less and less of just sticking our nose in this book this book is so rich and so full, we cannot afford to let it sort of become less important. But thank God, there's, you know, there's, it's cyclical. There are times when someone will rediscover... In fact, you can read time This same cycle happened in the Bible. In fact, there's one incredible story where they really had seriously lost the Old Testament scriptures. And somebody showed up at the king's door and said... Look what I found! And and a revival swept among the people because they returned to the Word of God. Now, that early church, they understood if there was going to be anything of value to this outfit called the church, it had to be anchored to this. The next thing it says there is that they, they continued steadfastly in fellowship. And these people understood that If they were going to do this, they had to do it together. No one of them could fulfill this outrageous assignment that they received from Jesus to take the good news to all the world. They needed each other. The word here for fellowship is kinonia. Kinonia. It's a, a deep, rich word. In, in Christian circles, we tend to kind of throw it around like the Christian word for party. We're going to have a fellowship in my house. You know. But it's not. It's a deep, intimate connection between us that, Dave, like Dave was describing when he first started uh, his segment this morning as he was talking about belonging to each other. And the problem here is that in any sort of group... Uh, context, there's only so many relationships that you can maintain. And so you quickly max out. If you're really going to have serious and, and deep relationships with a group of people, it's by, by definition has to be a small uh, subset of all the people that you know. <clears throat> so what ends up happening is that churches like this one reach a point where we, uh, we've, we've pretty much embraced, you know... The group of us. I know most of your names and a little bit about you. I love you. I care about you. I miss you when you're gone. But if anybody else comes in, they break my paradigm because I got no room for you anymore. <laughs> right? And churches will stall out in the fulfillment of their mission and in the, uh, the, re, the uh, fulfillment of this aspect of what it is to be a believer. Fellowship. They'll stall out because there's no more room. So we have to be purposeful. Think about this. what we're going to read here in these pages, or in, in these verses. We actually did read it already, but what we're going to explore a little further today in these few verses at the end of Acts chapter 2 are amazing, amazing in terms of the depth of commitment these people had with one another. And remember, the church started with 3,000 people. Somehow they figured out a way to break open pockets of fellowship so that others could, could get in. And if we're going to do what God has called us to do as a church family, we have to keep the door open. We've got to find ways to keep access open to our circles of fellowship. And that will mean that it won't be one just big blob. There will be a lot of pockets of fellowship that inter- interact and interrelate, but keep openings so that more can get into this dynamic does that make sense and part of what we try to do with uh, our micro church ministry it makes it possible for us to still be related to one another as a as a whole and yet have opportunity for others to get in on fellowship and the early church did that and did that well it also says that they Continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. And I already said that this was a term that meant communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's table. And the Lord's table, what it really is about is bringing us back to the basics of our faith. We call it a sacrament, but it's not really a rite or a ritual. It's simply recalibrating ourselves back to the basics because, boy, any, in any organization, the thing can quickly snowball out of uh, out of control with all of the things that people want to add to it, you know. And and communion, every time we take the bread and the cup, it brings us right back to, wow, that's what this is about. A Savior who died uh, for my sins, allowed his body to be broken so that my life could be mended, his blood shed so that my record could be cleansed. And that's, that's the gospel right there. So they realized that it was not just a ritual to fulfill, but a, uh, something essential to the integrity of their life in Christ. goes on to, to say that they uh, continued steadfast in prayer. And um, prayer, is the, prayer is the lifeblood of our relationship with Jesus. It's like the snorkel that gets up to the fresh air keeps me in tune with God keeps a body of believers in tune with God and prayer is such a vital thing so we try here in our church to uh, integrate prayer into lots of different uh, in lots of different ways into our life together but by no means are, are we uh, perfect in that but let's dear ones let's be in pursuit of more deeper, engaged prayer in our life together. It goes on to say that, they, um, that fear came upon every soul. And when you think about that, it kind of sounds a little odd, except that the word fear there has to do with reverence. And there was, among those early believers, there was a wonder and an awe and a a holy hush of reverence about what God was doing among them, and as they grew and as they developed, um, it was important and and i 'm not sure they altogether successfully did this to be honest with you, as you read through the book of acts but it 's something we we need to strive for is maintaining that simple awe ah, wide eyed wonder about what God is up to, and never become so um, you know, used to <laughs> the fact that God would show up and be among us. That we just sort of yawn our way through, that we keep that wonder. Goes on to say that many wonders and signs were done among them. A part of being a New Testament, a vital congregation of believers means that we stay open to the miraculous. That we don't institutionalize things to the point where God is not able or or not welcomed. God is always able, but not welcomed to do the outstanding, the unexpected. We want to always say, God, here's our plans, here's our process. It's, It's all there for you to adjust in any way you see fit. You are the one we want come and do your stuff. Because that's when lives are changed. So we, we keep that. It goes on to say that uh, they all, all that believed were together. They prioritized togetherness. Dear ones, that's as hard to do today as it was then. You know, we tend to think of these early believers as they kind of just sat around, twiddled their thumbs, and they didn't have anything else to do. They had lives, folks. They had livings to make. They had families to raise. Just I, It's no less of an issue for them than it is for us to make a priority out of hanging out together. But when I'm rubbing shoulders with you on a regular basis, it's doing something in me. And I pray maybe it's doing something to you and in your life too. They went on, it goes on to say that they, uh, not only did they uh, hang out together, but they had all things in common. And when they say all things, they mean everything. There was nothing that with, they withheld from each other. They were free from the grip of materialism. Now, we're going to read now in the next uh, verse, it says, They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any had need. This sounds like a socialism and something in all of us Americans rebels against that, right? But if you think about it, it it wasn't a prescription. In fact, it's clear that, that God was not requiring this of them. In just a few chapters, we're going to read about uh, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their property and tried to present themselves as they brought a portion of the proceeds of that sale to the disciples and says, here you go. They were trying to score points and, and um, impress Peter by by uh, imp- implying that the, what they were offering was the whole amount they received for the sale of the property when, in fact, they retained some of that those earnings. And Peter says, you know... When you sold your property, all of it was yours to have. So why are you lying about it? So we know that it, this was not a dictate from God, that you get, you become part of the church, and you, as we have often seen with cults, you present your checkbook to the to the priest or pastor or high potentate or what, whatever he is, hot and tot. You know, that's what I want on my door. Hot and tot, Randy Moore. You know, you don't... It's not that. But it's talking about something that was in their heart. That they were sensitized to the needs of others. It wasn't just about me and making sure I had my little thing together. But if anybody had a need anywhere, I was going to be the first one to rush to try to meet it. That's the, the heart of these people. If you had a need for something I had, it's yours. That was their heart and their attitude. It says they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And somehow they figured out how to balance this thing about everybody being together and enjoying the dynamic that comes when we're all, you know, in, on mass and we're worshiping God. There's such a great thing about that. And yet, if that's all that we know that church is, we're missing at least half of what it is to be part of the body of Christ that only happens when you 're in some smaller connect- connectivity where you 're just uh, relating eyeball to eyeball and and need to need and issue to issue and question to question, and you know ha- there 's got to be some sort of balance to that and it 's one thing that we are committed to here is for always trying to keep that in balance. They did a good job of it. it says that they uh, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They experienced an uncomplicated joy. One of the things I felt like the Lord told me a long time ago as I, you know, talked to Him about, you know, how do you do this thing of being a pastor, God? I know I went to school, but, you know... Thank God for my instructors there, but one thing is they never told me that being a pastor meant you vacuum and you empty trash and you know they didn 't teach me any of that stuff and one of the things they haven 't taught me is how do you god how do you welcome this how do you, how do you allow this this joy that we all long for to kind of settle in on a congregation when you come through the doors here on Sunday mornings you don't come in here to be browbeat you don't come in here to be bored to death you don't come in here to you know have somebody you know put their finger wag their finger in your face and tell you what a rotten sinner you are you already know that (laughs) but you come to experience this uncomplicated joy that is indescribable, the Bible says, and full of glory, glory being the, the word for God's beauty. You can't figure it out, you can't understand it, but it looks like God. So they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, worship, they worshiped with liberty. And the Lord added to the church daily. It says, first of all, I'm sorry, I missed that part where it says, having, they had favor with all the people and the Lord, added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had, because there was such a wonderful thing happening among them, they had the respect of people outside. Now, I'm not sure that's going to always be the case, because there's going, the, our, the kingdom that we're a part of is in conflict with the kingdom that surrounds us and so there's going to be skirmishes but overall i think that the church when it's really what it's supposed to be and doing what it's supposed to do in the way it's supposed to do it i think people have a, a respect for that and they want that because that's why it goes on to say and the lord was adding to the church daily people were saying wow i i want that whatever those people got i want that